Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. So fun to be taping out of Blast Podcast Studios with my friend John from BlastPodcast.ca. John's giving me the thumbs up. All right. So I will admit that I am a closet bachelor bachelorette fan. It's just too entertaining to pass up. And it's also my quality time with Jamie, my youngest daughter, who has a knack for remembering every contestant's name and backstory. And it's also a great way for me to teach her what not to do and how not to act in certain situations. There is something to be learned from the stories we see unfolding before us, leaving the producers and the most dramatic endings out of this. It's a breakdown of relationships, communication, sex, jealousy, vulnerability, and the list goes on. Rachel and Kyle Wright created a hit podcast, The Right Reasons, through the lens of the Bachelor franchise. Essentially, the Bachelor equivalent of SportsCenter. You know, real talk, real analysis, real experts. So Rachel, who's a licensed psychotherapist, marriage counselor, sex educator, speaker, and writer, started to realize just how much dialogue was lacking when it came to relationships, marriage, communication, and the list goes on. And as the popularity of the podcast grew, so did the topics. In fact, in truth, this quickly moved past the singles and into those who are in relationships, all relationships, navigating sex, intimacy, transformation, all things, everything that's not always taught in school. So we're going to explore more topics on this podcast. And let me emphasize the word explore. So with that being said, let's welcome Rachel to the show joining us from New York City. So great to see you, Rachel. I'm so excited this finally worked out for us. Uh, yes, ditto. And I, it's so crazy hearing that introduction. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, I do do all those things. And also, yes, on The Bachelor. It's th- so thank you for that. No, it's great. And congratulations. I mean, I know we follow each other, but I've seen you, you know, on all of the different uh, news programs, on all of the different kind of um, discussions and dialogue and any kind of segment you have on TV, talking relationships, talking intimacy, talking, you know, communication. You're, you've become kind of like that go to person. And I think it's been fun to watch. Thank you. I mean, it's really my goal. Like you said, we don't talk about these things enough. And the more dialogue that we can get around it, whether it's on the news, on a podcast, in an article, you know, it's doesn't really matter what medium, as long as we can talk about it, we can actually learn and grow and try to change things. Now, it's interesting because you were talking about it one on one with patients, you know, with clients that you had coming to the right wellness center. And then Mm -hmm. it seemed like the dialogue or this explosion for you really started when you and Kyle put this podcast together. So I know you were a fan of the show, but it wasn't really until Colton's season that, you know, you launched the dialogue and the show, which really put relationships at the forefront. Yeah. And I think that the lesson we learned through all of that is that we needed to meet people where they are. And if you're not used to talking about relationships, it's really hard to just dive in and start talking about relationships. But we all love talking about other people, especially other people on TV, (laughs) on The Bachelor. And so 
The Bachelor enables us to talk about some of the themes that we see pop up with clients over and over and over again in these kind of archetypes that go on the show, because that's really what it is, right? The casting directors are casting different archetypes of people that we see in the real world on the show. And so it makes it easier to talk about harder things through the lens of, oh, well, that's Colton. Oh, that's Peter. Oh, that's Nick. Instead of, oh, I was in a relationship like that. That can be kind of the second step in the conversation. Right. And you started to realize just you 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 look at it and you kind of see the transparency of the situation or when you're looking at it, you're like, see, that's that's what you're doing or that's what we were talking about. And so it's almost almost becomes like a reference, like a reference oh, totally. library for you. Yeah. And my clients that did watch the show, we would use it all the time. You know, I had a client and that's kind of <laughs> how it started, too, was one of my clients was like, you know, I usually go after people who are more like Nick Vial, but really I need to go more after people that are like Jason Mesnick. And if you didn't watch the show, you'd have no idea what this person was saying. But because I did, I totally understood. And so it's a way to to put language to things that are sometimes hard to put language to. Okay, so that's really how things kick started. But with that being said, and I don't want my listeners to go, I don't know who she's talking about when she mentions, yeah. you know, Colton or Peter or Nick. Uh, but it is the topic of, of the underlying aspect of it that has really uh, allowed you to talk more freely about relationships, intimacy, our communication. Uh, and so I have a long list of things to do. And I know that recently you, you did, you know, talk about something that I think circulated a couple years ago in the media, but it was like the, the love languages, right? Is, yeah. is understanding that we're all coming into relationships, into love with different needs, with different wants. And some, and sometimes you need to realize what it is that you're, that you are and what your partner is. Completely. And we get no education on this at all. And so we're really entering into relationships blindly in, in multiple ways. We don't know who we are, what we need. Then we don't know how to communicate what those things are. And then we don't know what our partner wants and needs because they don't know those things about themselves. And so as much as we like to say, you know, oh, wait till this age to enter into a relationship without the skills and tools and knowledge, it's like it doesn't matter whether you're 23 or 33 or 43, we're still kind of going in blind. And the love languages is a great starting point. It's really easy to understand. It's just that we all give and receive love in different ways. And so getting clear on what that is for us, there's a free quiz online, the guy who created them, Gary Chapman. He put up a free quiz. It's a great way to take the quiz, see what that is, and then have a conversation with your partner about it. Do you mind? I, I'm going to put you on the spot, though. But, you know, there's, is there five five languages? Yes, there okay. are five. Yeah. So it's physical touch, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and words of affirmation. Okay. And so these are things that you that you need. It's, is it it's when you take both. the quiz, is it is it what you tend to give or is it what you tend to want to receive? So usually it's actually this one in the same. It will come off as one in the same. So if let's say I'm a physical touch person, that's my number one physical touch and words of affirmation are my top two. So I will put my hand on Kyle's leg often, you know, when we used to drive a lot when we lived in California and he'd be like, why is your hand always on my leg? And when I explained that that was actually me showing him love, he was like, oh, okay. So then he started doing it back to me because he knew that that's how I was receiving it as well. Same thing with words of affirmation. Sometimes sending a text or writing in a card will be the way to express those things. And then also receiving it back and asking for them back. At what point do you realize what Kyle's are or that you have the discussion and dialogue to understand what he wants and needs? <laughs> 
So I made Kyle take the quiz on our second date (laughs) because that's where I come from is I just want to know the information as soon as possible. I want to be able to show up as the best partner that I can be and figure out if we're compatible as early on as possible. Um, I think it's a great discussion topic. You know, how do you give and receive love? What do you like about spending quality time? What do you think about gifts? What about words of affirmation? Having these discussions will allow you to be let into different areas of that person's life anyway. So it's really a wonderful conversation starter and overall topic. Okay, interesting. Because you you brought it up on the second date. Somebody might still be thinking, you know, I, I can't even look at my phone and text them back yet for three more days. So, you know, how am I going to have this dialogue? Like, are there still... Rules. I mean, I've been out of the rules of engagement in the dating scene for so long. I don't even I don't even know what's kind of what's the way to do it. But it seems with a, a different the generations they're dating and 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 kind of courting in a very different way. Yeah, I think we're leaning more towards honesty being the best policy. Um, I'm a huge believer in show up as you are in relationship. Show up. Show up that way in dating. Because what we don't want is for you to start dating somebody. You're like, oh, I'm going to wait three days to text him because that's what all my girlfriends told me to do. And then you get in a relationship and you're texting every five minutes. And then your partner's like, what? You were not like this before. You didn't text me for, you know, three days at a time. So set yourself up for what how you will show up in the relationship. How different while you're dating. Okay, so how different is the dating for those in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. The ones that are in their 40s and 50s weren't, didn't grow up with social media, didn't grow up with the swipe left and swipe right and all of the different apps that are out there. So yeah. it's almost like shock value for some. And you have different generations trying to navigate all looking for the same outcome, which is love. Oh, totally. And I think that the outcome that they're looking for is also different. You know, we're finally in a society where... Some people are not assuming monogamy is the only way to go. Um, There are apps specifically for people who want to be in open relationships, who are polyamorous. Um, There are apps specifically for gay, bisexual, transgender. Like, we're really being a bit more inclusive with dating. And so I love that you said, you know, the outcome that we're looking for is love. That can look really different for different people. You know, whether you're 80 or 20, that's going to look really different. But it's still love. We're all just looking for love. Hmm. I love that you mentioned the the twenty year olds and the eighty year olds. Do we? Why do we check out that we think those later in life aren't looking for the same thing? You know, we associate the dating and the love with those that are kind of young and up and coming, and we don't think that you know you're into your seventies and eighties and you still crave a relationship or touch or love yeah. or to be in a romantic in a romantic way. I think we do that with older people with everything not just love. You know, it's it's really sad if you think about the older people in your life. You we all kind of put them in a box of like, okay, well they've lived. Now now they're here doing this thing. And you know, women get put into like either the crotchety old, you know, rude woman or like the sweet old grandma. And we kind of take away the womanhood or manhood or whatever gender away from them and they they crave it i mean you and i were talking just before we hit record are you gonna are you gonna do this dad are you gonna you gonna do what i was about to ask you you do it no no you you go i it'll it'll be so much better coming from you rachel (laughs) (laughs) well what really proves the point of this is that you know some of the highest sti rates now are in nursing homes and in retirement homes 
And people are craving touch and intimacy and love and not just love, but sex. Like our sex drive does not just go away when we hit a certain age. Why does it feel like, you know, you can have discussions? Is it just, you know, people are in these marriages that are, you know, you know, 40, 50 years and it's just like they don't want to have sex with the same person after year yes. 50 and they would be totally <laughs> up for being kind of turned on again if it was a new partner. I mean, you say that, but, you know, even in dialogue or discussions, you go from like in college and you're kind of going like rabbits and then you're, you know, newlyweds and then you've got young kids. So you're exhausted and then you're just you know, bored. Yep. Like, yep. Well, and isn't it interesting how we have like this life plan set up where it's like, okay, so in college is when you figure out your sexual desires. Meanwhile, our whole like frontal part of our brain that actually makes decisions is not even fully developed until we're 26. So we're exploring sexuality and, and we're exploring what we like, but yet we're not really a full, human yet we're not our full self until 26 years old okay so if you're in a setting so in college you know you experiment or you try things and you think that you like certain things or you feel like you don't like certain things what you're saying is that over time or as we get older the the way we feel touched the way we see things or feel things is actually different so is it not being so opinionated saying oh, I don't like that or I won't go there and realize that that might have changed in how your body will respond? Yeah, it changes completely. And the way that we think about things changes completely. So we may feel touch the same way. You know, if somebody touches our our hand, it may feel like actual, the physical sensation may feel the same, but the meaning or belief that we put around that or the decision to allow it or not allow it, that's what changes. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push that a little bit further in exploration or in yeah. like real intimacy where you think or you tried something once and you didn't like it and then you know 10 years later do you go back and try I, I, I I'm asking you this only because I've seen some of the writing some of the things that you have that you've talked about yeah 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 I I think that it's important to go back and try things again you know it depends on your partner it depends on the way that your body is hormonally that day I've had clients who will come in and say you know oh, I've tried anal sex and I know I don't like it. And we talk about when they tried it, how they tried it, who they tried it with. And it could be that, you know, at a certain point in your cycle, you feel more bloated and swollen and something doesn't feel as good then or something feels better then, than on the flip side of that. And so it's really about communicating with your partner, you know, hey, I did not like this the first time I tried it. I really didn't like it for these reasons. I would love to try it again, but I'm afraid that I won't like it for these same reasons. How can we try this while making those reasons be different? Okay, so Rachel, that conversation that you just mentioned having for a lot of people would be really difficult. Yes, yes. And that's because we don't learn how to do it, which is so frustrating. I, I wish that... If I could magic wand the whole world, I wish that that curriculum was in elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. Which is that curriculum? Well, a lot. (laughs) Both how to have conversations and communicate, especially around feelings and wants and needs, how to set boundaries, and really sex education for pleasure. Not just what not to do, not just how not to get pregnant, not just 
how not to contract an STI, but what the clitoris actually is, what it does, what it's there for, what the prostate is, what happens with infertility. Like we focus so much on preventing things that we don't want to happen that we don't actually focus on at any point what we do want to have happen. Is that out of just fear? You know, like I I look at what happens in a classroom and, and you would... You're absolutely right. It is don't, don't, don't beware, you know, this mm-hmm. is bad. And so mm-hmm. it's almost the way of the teaching is almost like it's a bad thing. Correct. Whereas and it, then we wonder. And then we wonder why we're not having healthy or we're open to things as we get older. Bingo. And it's because we're teaching kids to remain kids around sex. We're not teaching kids or teens how to be healthy adults around sex. So I mean I understand it. How do you how do you split it up? How do you tell, I don't know, <laughs> a 16, 17-year-old who are right around the age where they would start exploring mm-hmm. this, you know, likely. I I'm kind of looking at the average. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the you know, you, yeah, the right thing is is like use a condom, don't have sex, abstain or, you know, if you do, this is how you need to be careful. Where in there does the teacher then say, and then if you are going to and you want to be a good lover, this is how you would go about doing it. I can't even, my like, it's like mind-blowing to me that there's a conversation like that could happen. Totally. And it is hard to think about because the majority of our country is still teaching abstinence. So it's a really far jump from where we are now to where it could be. There are just better ways of teaching it. So, for example, a lot of people don't know that herpes can be transmitted with the use of a condom and that it's not tested on a normal STI panel. So if you or I were to go into the gynecologist and get our annual exam and get screening, they actually don't test for herpes. And that's why 90% of the population has it. You have to actually ask for a herpes test. But we don't teach that in school. And we take away, like we, we fear monger around certain things, but not around other things. And it all comes down to what that school district or what that state wants to fear monger around, right? But the states that have the highest um, teen pregnancy rates are the states that teach abstinence only education. So we're really not giving enough credit to these 16 year olds. Give them the information. Let them know that you can you can have oral sex without a condom. That means that you could transmit an STI. You could. You can also do it with a condom and you can still transmit certain STIs and not not others. But we're not giving all this information. So then you get older and these same teens are like, wait a minute, I was lied to in school. What else did they lie about to me? And then there's this rebellion that comes from that. And then we start seeing, you know, young girls having a lot of unprotected anal sex because they want to stay virgins. And then that has a higher rate of STI transmission. But in their minds, they were told not to have vaginal sex. So it's okay. There's just so much misinformation going around that if we really just were honest about the truth of the matter, it's my personal opinion based on all the research that both pregnancy rates and STI rates would go down in teens. What have you seen between the years of going from the teens and being in a household and and either having the fear or the don't have or the use protection and then the 
three, four years of exploration, of being on their own, of being not in a house where, you know, mom and dad were upstairs, of, of those university years as to how there's such a, um, like, it's like night and day for, yeah, for a lot and- of people. It's kind of like drinking. So the kids who were not allowed to ever try alcohol at home in high school, they're the ones that usually end up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning that first week of college. And it's a very similar uh, image around sex. You know, the kids who were not allowed to talk about it, were not allowed to explore that. I mean, kids start masturbating when they're 18 months old. That's the average. Okay. Not because... Not because they know what it means and not because they're orgasming, but because it's comforting and it's a normal thing. And yet there's so much shame around it. So kids who carry a lot of shame around it will either continue to be shameful and possibly never come out of that shell until they get married and then have a very uncomfortable conversation around that. Or they go the opposite way. And unfortunately, those are the especially young women who end up with a lot of different problems, both physically and psychologically, because they rebound so much against it. And they're the ones that are having a lot of unprotected anal sex and going to these this thing called rainbow parties where these girls wear different lipstick and go down on a bunch of different guys and create this rainbow of lipstick with no protection and just tons and tons and tons of fluids being exchanged because no one taught them about that. How do you encourage parents to have these conversations with, with <sighs> their children? Like, how then do you say, okay, let's be open about these conversations? Like, it, I, I want to say it's, it's healthy to have the dialogue coming from the home. You know, I can't, yes. listen, I think schools should be teaching as much as they possibly can, but I still feel the responsibility comes down to, to the parents oh, and, and, yes. to, and to have that communication. Absolutely. And it really starts with the parents getting comfortable, as comfortable as possible as they can with sex. Because kids are smart. I mean, if you think back, we can all think back to being a kid. When our parents had to talk to us about something that they were awkward around, we knew it. Like, even when you were five years old, you're like, mom is uncomfortable right now. There is what's going on. What's wrong with dad? Like, there's something happening. So it's really the responsibility of us as adults, as parents now to get comfortable with it so that we're not putting our stuff onto our kids. That we can have a conversation that is explains the, the magnitude of sex and the magnitude of intimacy. And also that there are people who have casual sex and that that's okay. Like it, it's, the, it's the education and information without the judgment. That's the important piece. Hmm. You know, there's there's a difference between saying, hey, these are the consequences of what can happen and then providing shame around it. One, it can be factual without being shameful and judgmental, if that makes sense. Well, it can, except then you start to get into, um, you know, having these conversations as you get older as to your past relationships and how you felt and if there was any trauma related to it or if you felt like you were you know, could you have been promiscuous? Were you not promiscuous? And not, you know, like, did you not explore mm-hmm. enough? Did you just have the one relationship? And then, you know, you haven't really, you don't really have a lot of experience. Like, these are the discussions and the dialogue, I would think, when you talk about the good communication with a partner is to come into it. And you talk about, you know, having discussions about past relationships as being 
part of the process of who you are and having that discussion. Yeah. And knowing that there is no good, bad, right, wrong, right? It's, it's totally okay to be with one person and only be with one person sexually your whole life. It's also okay to go to an orgy every weekend. Like all of it is okay. It's just figuring out what is best for you. And it's hard to figure out what's best for you when you're being fed all of childhood and teenage years and young adulthood that anything besides abstinence is bad. That's where we go into the problem is labeling good, bad, right, wrong. The The fact is, is that it's all okay. It's just figuring out what's best for ourselves and not judging other people for what they like to do as long as they're, of course, as long as they're not harming other people. Right. So let's say you have... So intimacy is oftentimes, um, you know, when I'm looking at the stats, and I know that you have dealt with lots of, you know, couples in therapy, where, where's the breakdown? Is it intimacy? Is it communication? Is it, I mean, we like can go into, like, in. right, like, I mean, when we know that there's a 50% chance every time someone gets married that they're going to end in separation and divorce, is it coming down to what? Intimacy, communication, needs, finances? I mean, you've seen it kind of trickle down the list. Completely. I would say that they're all interrelated with the foundation being communication. So if you can't talk, like it may be finances that causes the divorce, but really that's communication around finances, right? It could be sex or intimacy that creates the divorce, but that's communication around sex and intimacy. It's typically not really the thing itself. It's the communication and understanding underneath. So a great example is, um, you know, I'm a sex therapist. And so people would constantly call, hey, we need to come in. Um, My partner's libido is different than mine. So we're having problems. Okay, cool. They would come in within five minutes of actually getting the problem aired out in a like a correct way of communicating. It was not about that. So I would always joke that like the sex gets them in the door. And then finally, we can address what's really going on, which is a lack of understanding of the other person's experience, typically, and a lack of the communication tools to understand since we don't learn them ever, unless you go get a master's degree in clinical psychology and marriage. Babe. Well, I would Therapy. think and I would think even for a couple to make a call to a sex therapist takes a lot of courage and guts just to even make that call. You know, it's not like do we go for couples counseling and to call, you know, to do counseling, to do sex therapy, like that in itself would have had to have some dialogue to say, okay, we're in enough of a mess that we need to call one of these people. Sometimes For that sure. never happens. And, oh, unfortunately, you're 100% correct. And I wish that we viewed therapy in general as more of a preventative care. You know, we, we don't cover, um, our insurance companies don't cover it. It's like, we're supposed to go to the dentist twice a year for preventative care, right? And that's what our dental insurance covers if we're lucky enough to have it. Therapy is not considered preventative. We look at it as a treatment tool for something that's already gone wrong. And if we really went in at the beginning and learned those skills and learned how to do these things, we wouldn't have to come in in crisis. I mean, sure, there may be, but it would significantly reduce the amount of times people would be coming in like we're on the brink of divorce. Now we have to save this. Well, usually they are waiting until that last possible second, right? 
yeah. to be on the brink of, of divorce. What do you mind if I mean just to generalize, you know, what kind of calls do you get? Like when you look at the difference between couples who choose to go to counseling or just, you know, things that just aren't, you know, things just aren't working great and they're just kind of they're surviving, right? A lot of people just survive through life. Like they don't thrive. They're not looking for anything else. They just they go through the pattern, right? They just Every day is the same and then eventually it's just, you know, 20 years have gone by and it's just they look back and go, oh, what questions, what issues usually arise in your sessions? Oh, it it really spreads all over. Um, A lot of the times it'll come back to how they grew up and how their family affected how they are subconsciously looking at the relationship. You know, so for those of us who grew up in homes that affection was given in front of us, we behave differently than those of us who grew up in homes where it was not. Um, And sometimes we don't even think about that stuff until we're in it. And our partner's like, why don't you hug me when I come home? And then it turns into a bigger issue. Um, So family of origin stuff, which is just fancy term for the family we grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, Communication for sure. Um, Lack of attention or care or a perception of a lack of attention or care um poor communication in general so like conflict just getting out of control or feeling as though it could arise at any point like you could be out to dinner with friends and you're feeling as though you're walking on eggshells because something could happen um disagreements around parenting lack of sex for sure um i had a couple one time who had not had sex in 15 years. They came in together. Yeah. They came, they came in, together. in together. 15 years. That's, that's a friendship. That's like a, that's like a, a life partner in that you've, you've partnered up to, to do things. Yeah. 15 years is a long time to not have touch. Yeah. And, and when we unpacked it, you know, there were so many reasons underneath that I won't go into just because they're too specific and mm-hmm. I don't want to, but there were so many different things that went into this and they ended up having sex within the time that we were working together and we stopped working together to my, not, I mean, I haven't talked to them in years now, but they were doing really well and I'm so glad that they came in, but it, it takes, like you said, it takes so much courage. That is so scary to call somebody who you don't know and say, Hey, here's the deal. It's been 15 years. Like, can you help? Okay, so that I'm going to ask a question then. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, they haven't had sex with each other in 15 years, but how often does lack of intimacy result in people looking elsewhere and outside of the relationship? So I would say typically all the time, for sure, um, because we're human beings and we need physical touch and intimacy. It's, I mean, part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is sex. Like, we need sex. And there are... So many women, specifically women, who will tell me, I don't, my husband does, I don't need it. You do. You do. You really do. I promise you. Life is really different without it and with it. Um, In this particular couple's case, there was no infidelity. There was no, um, both people had not been intimate with other people physically. They were also both not masturbating, which was very interesting. Um, it was it was as if their libido both got turned down to zero and they were just operating as non-sexual creatures. 
but some people might be like, well, that's okay. Like some, you know, I, well, the fact that they went 15 years for a while, I'm I'm sure they were thinking, well, it's fine. I I think there are people who think they don't need it. And there are some people like that. So asexuality is a sexual orientation in which you do not need, nor do you feel the desire for any sexual intimacy. And that is just as possible as being heterosexual, as being bisexual, as being, you know, all of it. These two people, however, in this case, were not asexual. And when they did start having sex again, a lot of things changed in their life. You know, depressive symptoms were alleviated. There was just a lot shifted. I would think, okay, so you're saying depressive, you know, were they in a depression that they had no libido to even want or weren't to feel like they wanted to have sex? I would think that that's just like a domino effect, either going one way or going the other way. <laughs> totally. It, it can definitely be like a which came first, the chicken or the egg type thing. Um, for this particular situation, if I'm remembering all the details correctly, the depressive stuff happened after the sex stopped. So whether or not that was a factor in it, we'll never know. You know, a lot of times I wish that we could do like control studies with people (laughs) and figure this stuff out. Um, But yeah, depression can, you know, lower libido, make it go away completely. So can anxiety. Most mental health stuff can. Um, And it can be really challenging to, to navigate through those waters, which is again, why communication is so important. Do you communicate on not always feeling like you have the need to or want to, but that you should, I'm going to, Hey, should you be scheduling it in? Like I used to, we would schedule. Okay. I'll like, why not? This is my podcast at this point. Yeah. So, you know, like there were times where it's just like life gets in the way, it gets busy. There's things that are happening and you almost have to look at the, the date book. And Mm -hmm. I am full on admitting like we would schedule it in. So that's I, really I'm thinking I'm not I'm not alone in this, but it was almost like, OK, knowing the statistics, like knowing mm-hmm. the statistics of what happens when it starts to just disappear and even always not always wanting to to do like not always being in the mood, but almost like forcing yourself to kind of schedule yeah. it and get it done, even though, you know, at the end, you're happy you did it at the beginning. It's kind of like, OK, like, let's get like, OK, let's get my mindset, like my mind around it. But, you know, like. I thought that we did a pretty good job in, in that we kind of kept it up, you know, when you're exhausted and tired and the kids are young and it's just like, oh, my God, I can't. Yes. So two two prong answers. And I'm so sorry this. for any of my listeners who are going, I totally see Leanne in a different way right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's so good to talk and see this is the stuff that we need to to talk about. So two prong. Number one, I despise the word should. So anytime I get a question that's like, should we, should I, should they? It's like, do you want to? So if we can remove the word should for anybody listening, if you ever use the word should, ask yourself why you're using that. Because usually it is, it's like when we say, well, they say that you shouldn't have eggs. And it's like, who is they? And then people are like, I I don't know who they are. Should is a very similar thing. It's like a societal expectation thing. So if we're looking at, is it good to schedule intimacy on your calendar or not. My question back is, is it important to schedule things that are important to you? So if you like going to the gym 
or if you enjoy the after effects of going to the gym or working out, do you schedule it? Most people will say yes. It is no different than that. Right? We schedule in lunchtime on our schedules because even though we may love doing what we're doing, we need to eat. We schedule in coffee dates with friends because we want to stay connected. Scheduling time for intimacy. It's not like, okay, 601, start making out. 605, insert finger here. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like a, a an itinerary of what's going to happen. But you can block off a chunk of time for physical and emotional intimacy without the expectation of anything particular happening. Right. So I have been an advocate for like scheduling in, but then, you know, having discussions with other people, it's like, well, then that ruins the whole romance or the spontaneity or that you're in the mood, you know, like, so you come at it from a pragmatic, you know, look at at things. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, well, you're taking away that there's the, you know, it should just, it should just happen. Well, and I, I love that narrative because it's like, what, what in life just happens? without you being intentional about it. And really, it's like not a lot. But yet we have this narrative around sex that it just should happen. Like, I'm going to be walking around in my sweats and my greasy hair and my husband's going to be like, right now. And I'll be like, yes, I feel so sexy. It's perfect timing. Like, there can still be time for spontaneity and romance, and there can also still be spontaneity and romance within your scheduled block. You know, it doesn't, it's not like, okay, we're going to pre-pick what position we're going to be in. We're going to pre-pick what foreplay. We're going to pre-pick what I'm wearing. Like, n- no, it can just be, okay, Friday night at six o'clock, we're going to get a babysitter. And the babysitter is going to take the kids out until 10 p.m. And we're just going to have the house to ourselves. You get to then choose what you do with that time. Right? It could be that once a month you focus more on emotional intimacy. And then maybe once a month you focus on something new that you want to try. What do you mean by emotional intimacy? Connecting on an emotional level that's deeper than how was your day? Cool. I ate tuna salad. <laughs> cool. What did you have? It's really asking the questions. And I actually have a, a PDF that we used to give out. I can send to you to give to your listeners. Okay. Um, of questions to re-get to know your partner and how they experience the world. I'm laughing at you right now because I know that the word emotional intelligence actually came out of one of the Bachelor series. Oh, Was it, yeah. Like the word emotional intelligence came up a lot yes it was um, so I'm, I'm laughing it was during Col- it was it was during Colton's season too I think yeah it was back with Corinne and oh my someone. god yeah maybe it wasn't that season but yes but I remember it yeah, was like the yeah. introduction of what emotional intelligence was yes to Bachelor Nation yes they, <laughs> yes <laughs> so and and emotional intelligence is so important we value it more than we think we value it in our country. And yet we still focus on IQ versus EQ. 
So a person with emotional intelligence, basically all it means is that you can access your own feelings and then communicate them to somebody else. So for me to say, hey, Leanne, what you said really hurt my feelings. I felt hurt when you said blah, 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 blah. You know, I would really love it if next time we were talking, you could just say it differently. That ability to identify and communicate that that's what's considered high emotional intelligence. Okay. So emotional intimacy is just connecting on that level. Okay. So I'm going to go back to an, an example that you might have heard or, you know, had in, in, in sessions. And that's, you don't have those emotional conversations, especially when you're going to bed. So let alone is there not even sex happening in the bed, but you have people who are non-communicative and going to bed angry. That, that I would assume is probably one of the biggest things is how things fester constantly. I, I'm a big believer you don't go to bed angry. So I'm going to challenge you and agree with you. Is that okay? okay? Absolutely. Okay. So I definitely think that there are times where it is better to talk it out right then and there and to not, um, to not let it sit with you longer than it needs to, for sure. And there are times where something can be so heavy and so triggering that for our brains to not be flooded with so many different feelings and chemicals, we need kind of a timeout. And if it's late at night, that timeout isn't a walk around the block. It's actually a night's sleep. So if it's something that you're feeling very, um, almost that feeling of seeing stars or your blood pressure is so high that you can feel, you know, in psychology, we call it flooding. Like it's almost like picture a wave in an ocean just coming over your whole brain with just feelings and, and chemicals to where like you can't think or see anymore. That is a huge indicator of pause step away from this interaction and take a timeout. Timeouts are way better for adults than they are for kids. They actually do nothing for kids, <laughs> like nothing at all. But for adults, they're very helpful because they can bring us back to a, a homeostasis. So I definitely don't think it's good to stuff shit down and to go to bed um, feeling angry just because you don't, you're avoiding it or you don't want to have the conversation. But if it's a conscious, I want to sleep on this, and I want to talk about it tomorrow when we have both just been able to rest our heads and, and our feelings, sometimes that can be much better. You wake up the next morning, and it's like, oh, I don't really know why I was that upset. It, it gives you a different perspective. So yes and no, just depending on how heavy the topic is for that person or couple. Okay, and how and how when do you kind of hit the the panic button when fights become big fights and then become they get out of control and then you're you're too far down kind of the bulldozer has hit. You know, yeah. and that that you find yourself either on the road to divorce or you're, you know, things things just happen. Like how what, when's the big fight, that huge fight an issue? I mean, huge fights like that are typically, they're typically issues in the sense, all the time, in the sense of conflict is really important in a relationship to be able to grow and understand each other better. 
when it's gotten past the point of understanding each other better and you're just, you're going into like name calling and, you know, being contemptuous and criticizing your partner or just, it's really not valuable in any way, shape or form. That's when it's kind of crossed that line. And I like to have couples come up with a code word so that while they're in the middle of something that heated, they can say, you know, elephant or pineapple cherries. And what that means is we're going to take a time out right now because the worst thing, and I think we've all been in this position. I know I have when you're like in fight mode with whoever you're going at it with. And if they were to say, I think I just really need to take a break right now. You're like, no, I am talking to you. Like it is, it's the worst thing to hear. And so if we can just have this understanding beforehand of like banana means I need a break to calm my brain down, just like sleeping on it, that will help tremendously in those heated fights for that separation to happen without the other person feeling abandoned or left alone. Okay. So I love these conversations because especially in the last little bit, I've been talking at it more from couples and and people who have been in long-term relationships and, you know. They're in these marriages and, 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 you know, they're looking to make these work. At what point as a single and you're dating and you start to see red flags, at what point do you not have this conversation of having a code word? But the code word is this isn't compatible and I need to be looking elsewhere. You know, at one point you don't have a choice and you've committed to this relationship and you're trying to work it out. At what point for for those that are, you know, yeah, for those that are single that you say these are the flags and I've got to go now. I got to move on from this relation. I think presenting it just like that to your person that you're dating is a beautiful way of doing it. Just like you said, you know, I'm seeing these things, I'm experiencing this and I would love for it to shift. And if you're willing to talk about it shifting, that would be fantastic. If not, I don't think that I can continue with this. Okay. But I'm looking at it more from people fear being alone than staying in a relationship that is unhealthy. You know, ah. you have these flags coming your way, you know, and you think you can change a person, you know, you think that mm-hmm. they'll change, you think that it'll go away, you think that it's just, you know, temporary. Like there's there's things that you should be aware of to say this is that it's it's worse to stay in the relationship than to leave it. Yes. And I think that, you know, many of us are afraid to be alone. A general rule of thumb is that if you're afraid to be alone, you need to be alone. (laughs) Because it's only when we are completely comfortable with ourselves and being with ourselves that we can show up as the best version of us in relationship. So how do you suggest, what are the tips and tools you say to someone who realizes they haven't been alone, they fear being alone, and they need to spend some time alone? What tools do you give them to enjoy that process so that they come out of it ready to be in a relationship? Number one would be to find a coach or therapist that you trust that you want to stand beside you during this time because you can be alone romantically, but nobody wants to or nobody needs to or I'm going to use the word should should go through life fully alone. We're not individual creatures. We're we're community creatures. We need support. So finding a therapist that can support you during it, leaning on your friends. So letting your friends know what's going on for you 
you know, hey, I'm going to end this. I'm terrified. I'm going to be by myself. Have you ever gone through this? You know, asking for other people's experiences. Even going on a website like Reddit, it's R-E-D-D-I-T for those of you who don't know. I didn't know about this website before I started dating my now husband. It's a community forum and people talk about their experiences and it's all anonymous. And while a lot of it is, I'm rolling my eyes for those of you who can't see me, a lot of it is eye roll, um, a lot of it is really helpful to read other people's experiences and see how they felt and how they navigated and just ask. People want to help. People want to be there for you. So posting something on social media. Hey, what are your favorite books on independence and navigating singlehood in a city or even doing a Google search? It's leaning on the resources that you do have and finding that strength within yourself is part of that process. At what point do you feel like you've graduated, that you've done the, <laughs> you know, you've done the research, you've figured out, you know, more things that you, you feel like you're a healthier version of yourself to go out and be in that scene to have the open communication and find the right partner? I think it's when the fear of alone, like of being alone, isn't your fear anymore. Right. When it becomes more about finding a good fit for you in a partner, when it becomes more about being in a healthy relationship and if that relationship ends it's more about the sadness of it ending versus not wanting to be alone at all that's a big difference so that that thought process same thing for those that are in a in a marriage in a relationship that they're staying in it for the wrong reasons yes yes you know, with, with marriage, it can get a little bit more complicated just because you're more intertwined legally. There are more repercussions that can come from that. Um, if there are kids, there's different things there. But when I hear people say like, oh, we're, we're staying together for the kids, all that's teaching the kids is that your happiness as an adult doesn't matter. And you're basically showing them what an unhealthy relationship looks like. And I know that that's so hard to hear. Like I, I say that because I say it the way I say it because I've said it 10,000 times. I know that if that's your first time hearing that, that that is like the biggest sting and oof feeling. My parents almost divorced when I was seven and they got back together and they ended up divorcing when I was 17. And I'm very grateful that I was older when they divorced because I was able to look at their relationship and say, I don't want that. But if I had been younger when they had stayed together, I would have subconsciously learned what a relationship was supposed to look like through them. And it would not have been wonderful. And I love my parents. They, you know, if they hear this, like they, this is not news. We've talked about this, but it, it wasn't a good relationship. They weren't happy. And we want our kids to be able to see what it looks like to be in a happy, healthy relationship because that's what they're going to go look for is what they see every day. Okay, I'm going to bring this back full circle because I just looked at the time. So we go back full circle to how this all launched in and that was having a podcast on The Bachelor and having people call in and give us opinions on a relationship that would likely end in an engagement after really maybe just if you add up all of the hours of the time they spent together is like less than a week, you know, oh, for put it sure. all together. 
is it reality? Can it happen this way? Do we live in this, you know, fairy tale version of what we think should happen? I mean, and that one is really based on, you know, it seems like, you know, the attraction and how like this, you know, and now I'm watching, as I was mentioning, I was just me- watching the, the new one, The Blind, Love is Blind. You oh, heard about Love that is one? Blind, yes. Which kind of t- puts an entirely different spin on it, which would have been great had the, had the producers not put the twist in at the end, like... It, I know. For those that don't haven't seen this, but it, it's people dating but without having ever seen each other. So it's really falling in love with the actual person themselves. Which, which I, conceptually is very cool. That part of it I like. I loved that part. And then yes. and then they decide to mess with you and then it's not fun anymore. Exactly. And that's honestly the part of The Bachelor that I don't like is the part that producers go in and you can tell when they're pulling the marionette strings of the contestants. Enough drama would unfold with 25 women living together in a house. Like, we don't need this manipulated, Mm -hmm. facilitated drama. Um, But to answer your question, I do think that it is possible. It's not the most realistic. Um, There's also something to be said for taking away distractions and focusing in on one thing. You know, these contestants don't have their phones. They don't have their typical routine around them they don't have tv they are 100 they don't even have books they have their journal that's it they are not allowed to read yeah really i'd see i didn't know that i thought they they would have things to to keep them no from going insane because no wonder they're all so crazy by the end exactly exactly and so when people watch and they're like wow all they do is sit around and talk about the bachelor it's like yeah that's literally all they can do is sit around and journal and think about their own feelings. And so if there is a good match, then that's amazing because you're really putting in weeks and weeks of like this dedicated time towards this person. It also can lead to very false feelings of connection because you have nothing else to focus on. So it's like you and I would probably fall in love too if that were the situation. You know, like there's, it's very facilitated right. so to when create they're saying the feelings. you're all that I've been thinking about it's really it's true because they've had absolutely nothing else to do correct correct there's a great book um, for those of you bachelor fans out there and I think you'll really like this book too Leanne it's called Bachelor Nation it's written by Amy Kaufman um, she was a media journalist for the LA Times who basically got banned from covering the bachelor because she started <laughs> Uh, putting out facts that they did not want to be out in the universe. And so she said, basically, F you, I'm writing a whole book on it. And it talks all about this and how production really intervenes. And it's oh, oh, gosh, yeah. Like, and I've seen it more so this season with any other, the the, the, oh. the marionettes, you know, of the puppeteers. It's It's yes. been really quite sad. So to come back to this, though, because I've got to wrap this up. Yes. If someone were to say to you with all of your, you know, sex therapist and marriage counselor and all this stuff, what is your take on love relationships? Like what at the end of the day, do you want a person to be, you know, they come into the world and they leave the world? What should they have experienced? Mm. Experience being your full self and knowing who you are and sharing who you are with people who love you for all of who you are and loving other people back for all of who they are. 
That's what I want people to experience. No labels. No anything. No labels. Yeah. Just you. That's it. That would be a pretty good thing to aim for. Right? Could you imagine? Can you imagine the, the world that low like that? The world would be different. I feel like we're on a booty pageant. I just want world peace. I know. <laughs> just, I just want world peace. Uh, you know, it's, you know, all you need is love. I, I, I love it. Thank you. Like, honestly, this is great. I, I love the fact that you're going to send us, you're going to do the, the PDF. You'll send us over so people can take yeah. that, that quiz. I think that'll be great. Where can people go for more information? Where can they tune in? I think people have had a ton of fun on, on the podcast. And if they aren't a Bachelor Nation or any of that, you know, where can people find all of your stuff? Yes. So on YouTube is our bachelor show. It's also a podcast. It's called The Right Reasons, but with a W because our last name is Right. So we got a nice little wordplay there. Um, My new website is actually under construction. So the best place to find me right now and whenever you listen to this is on Instagram. Um, It's at the right underscore Rachel. So at T-H-E-W-I-G-H-T underscore R-A-C-H-E-L. And I'm on there all the time. It's it's such a cool tool. I, I freaking love Instagram. It is my favorite social platform. But you, platform you sure. kind of have a mixture of everything on there, like tips, and you'll talk about one aspect of a relationship. Like, for you, that's that's your tool. Yes, it, absolutely. Because I can teach on there. I can have fun on there. I can bring in my life on there. It's it's just an all-encompassing, fun tool. Perfect. So hopefully people will do that. I will have the information uh, for you. And... Um, you know, depending on exactly when I'm going to air this, I'm going to double check in that you're because I know you've gone through a little transformation going from because you had this whole center, you had this entire yes. kind of brick and mortar, people were coming to you guys. And because I think the work that you've done is just taken off, you know, you're getting into that online digital, you can be everywhere all the time kind of business. Yep. So uh, yeah. really interesting. It's an interesting transition. I know. See, but we go through transitions in life, don't we, Rachel? You, All the time. <laughs> I have made some comments on some of those posts of yours. Uh, so <laughs> thank you so much for those of you who are listening. Thanks as always for uh, being such a great supporter of the show. If you can continue to like or to comment or to rate or just word of mouth and getting the podcast out there and just talking about the really cool unique guests and topics that we're covering is it's great so wishing everyone a fantastic day and as always thank you so much for listening i'm matt kundle host of the sound off podcast the show about podcast and broadcast since 2016 we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades legendary broadcasters research wizards talent experts podcasters voice talent Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.